1: take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's tour catch-up...
0: Daniel Medvedev returns to win his first title in 11 months.
1: Nick Kyrgios cruises in Washington, D.C.
0: And Serena Williams returns as the Canada Open gets underway in Toronto and Montreal.
1: Kim, today is the 8th of August, and we are here to catch up on the weekend tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. We have had our latest round of hardcourt tournaments across Washington, DC, San Jose, and Los Cabos in Mexico, and even just saying that, Kim, I'm I'm slightly sweating given the temperatures in those tournaments this week. I was reading even in Los Cabos in Mexico, in the evening, in the final, <laughs> it was 31 degrees. I'm so glad I wasn't a spectator <laughs> at all during that event or even in Washington, to be fair.
0: Yeah, very hot uh, indeed. I mean, it's all very well us like watching from home with like our aircon on. We're having quite nice (laughs) weather where we are but it's yeah just sweaty like thinking Mm. about it and you know it did did cause a few disruptions, a few hiatuses but I mean we did have tennis in the end, we did get the tournament uh, done and we had some entertaining uh, matches along
1: the way. Just extend the grass court season Kim, it's too hot in all these countries, the weather is perfectly fine in the UK so forget about having a you know the start of the hardcore season let's just have more grass court tournaments
0: in very cold mild times <laughs> well our weather has not been uh you know it's not been too chilly has it uh no, so, that is very i true. mean we'll be getting on a bit later to talking about weather and tennis and how that might interact in the future but i mean let's uh let's begin i mean we do have to importantly acknowledge joel today mm. is a well, a special day for some. It's Roger Federer's forty-first birthday. Wow! So, um, you know, let, let's get that out of the way and move on to the actual tennis, shall we?
1: <laughs> what do you think he got for his birthday? I mean, he—I feel like he would have had everything. He or he has everything. What? What could you get him for his birthday?
0: I feel like we talk about this every year, and we always sort of say something along the lines of another cow. Because wasn't he given <laughs> a cow once? Oh yes, by I think he was wasn't it? What was that for winning Wimbledon? He was given a cow yeah i don't know I thought it was
1: like basel did he win but ba- it was a local tournament i thought it was won a local tournament yeah. and maybe it was in basel or i mean or i somewhere. assume
0: he's not getting a cow for each tournament he wins because he would have like almost Oh, <laughs> well, he would have over 100 right um mm. if that was the case he'd, he'd have a whole field he's got his career lined up he's going to become a farmer <laughs> after retirement um but yeah let, let's talk about what tennis we did have last week on the tour. Uh, let's begin with with DC, Washington, DC. It was a joint event, men and women there, uh, which was great. Um, we had the 500 for the ATP side of things. And, uh, well, we had a certain Mr. Nick Kyrgios doing very well, winning two titles there, singles and doubles, uh, the doubles being with, with Jack Sock um what what did you make of Nick Kyrgios this week you know does this this title win you know beating Nishioka in the final in straight set 6-4-6-3 does this stand him in in a good place you know going into the the rest of the swing and, and the US Open
1: yeah it was uh very very promising you know return to you know singles action and you know really really nice run of results for him uh you know at, at DC this year complete opposite to last year and I think he, he acknowledged that in his, his post-final press conference where I think you know last year he lost in straight sets to Mackenzie McDonald and was out of the competition very very quickly but here he put on some really fantastic displays had an excellent win against Francis Tiafo, where he saved five set points in the uh, in the quarterfinals and I mean he's just been playing some he's just a man reborn isn't he Kim I think since you know the Wimbledon final against Novak Djokovic, and I think you know in, in my head anyway, I, I like to think that him not winning that final has has almost done him put him in even better stead than than becoming champion because I think it gave him that taste, it made him realise I think the the potential that he has with his game, and you know we have all we have known that I think, but I think this week his attitude has been great on court yes there have been a few outbursts but more or less he's kind of kept a lid on it and he's been very entertaining at the same time and when you have a serve like he does which I heard Mark Petchy on commentary call one of the top five greatest serving actions of all time it's a match made in heaven and you know this week he didn't drop serve across the the whole all of his matches and no one could could live with him. And even Nishioka, who was having the week of his life, really, really great tournament from him to get all the way through to the final, just didn't ultimately have an answer to, to Nick Kyrgios in the final.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kyrgios was a demon on, on serve, you know, throughout the tournament. But especially in that final, Nishioka wasn't really able to, um, to do mm. too much. And uh, yeah, he was just... I felt
1: quite sorry for him.
0: Yeah, it was kind of a bit of a lost cause. I mean, he did his he did his absolute best. and I...
1: <laughs> That was it, though. That was what was so surprising, I think, with Nick Kyrgios on the court, was that I never felt like he was going to lose or combust. I just felt he had it always in control. And I don't think there's many times you can you would have been able to say that, I think, you know, a few years ago, coming up against opponents. Yeah, you look out on paper and think, oh, he should beat that player in, in straight sets very easily very quick job but i think you know given you know what's happened this season how he's matured certainly over the last year or so i think now he plays with a level of control certainly i think in the smaller tournaments that helps him and helps i think fans sort of see like if he keeps the lid on it he is unbeatable on his day
0: oh absolutely and like you said i think Having got to the Wimbledon final and, and you know, doing pretty well, like obviously it was it was a force that lost to Djokovic in the end, but mm. it's given him a taste of where he wants to be. And I think, you know, if he's going to start putting that extra bit of effort in and focusing and really knuckling down, he knows that, yeah, he could win slams. He can absolutely be right up there. And I think what we've seen so far um, since, you know, after Wimbledon, like doubles titles, now the singles title, you know, he, he has won this tournament before. He won it back in 2019 wasn't able um, to defend immediately the year after because of COVID. But, and last year, you know, disappointingly lost in the first round. So he's um, come back to, to win this title yet again. And I think, you know, it's certainly someone that we should be looking at very, very closely for the rest of this this stint um, and, and beyond. I mean, I was debating earlier, Joel, about players this year who have had a, you know what, we've had Caroline Garcia coming back into form and Nick Kyrgios, you know, so is, this, is there a sort of general, I don't want to say it. I know there was a swear jar last week. I'll say it for okay, you because I'm me.
1: exempt from the jar. Renaissance. <laughs>
0: Renaissance. Oh, funnily enough, that is Beyonce's <laughs> new albums called Renaissance. <laughs> I think she's she's taken a, a leaf out of Garcia's book. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kyrgios did have that, that really tight match of TFO. You know, he had to say five match points to get past TFO. Um, so, you know, could have could have gone slightly differently this week, but he was able to do that and hung in there and went all the way after that.
1: For you, where does this put Nick Kyrgios in terms of the US Open later on in the year, in terms of the favourites ranking? I think obviously Daniel Medvedev is going to be up there. But the fact that Novak Djokovic at the moment doesn't seem like he's going to be allowed to, to play Rafa... There's always going to be the injury question marks. He had to pull out of the the Canada Open this week because he felt his um his pec. So where for you does this? Do we do we talk about Nick Kyrgios as a as a favorite for the U.S. Open? Do we put him in that special category or do we still keep him on the on the outside because his ranking is still very much on the outside? He's still unseeded. He still needed to play the first round. There were no buys for him this week, and I sort of feel like what's impressive about these these wins that he's been putting together is that he's doing it the hard way he's not he's not getting any kind of freebies um, you know like the top seeds are into the into the second round he's having to do it from from round one but do you put him in that top tier category as a favourite for for Flushing Meadow
0: yeah I would put him in a cohort of players who are likely to go to the latter stages Um, Mm. obviously it doesn't look like Djokovic is going to be there because of the vaccine regulations Rafa We don't really know, injury-wise, you know, may not be there or maybe below par due to something. Medvedev, obviously, is is perhaps also getting into really good form prior to defending his title. And then other names that spring to mind, you know, the likes of Sinner, Alcaraz... Berrettini. Yeah. So I think Kyrgios is definitely amongst those players, especially after, you know, reaching a slam final. He knows he can he can get that far. And if he's got the belief and the discipline, I think if he can keep up this sort of better behaviour, then uh, he can go far. And I think Kyrgios fans should be, you know, um, quite positive. But I mean, if he had have got those ranking points from Wimbledon, you know, he wouldn't be in the same situation but obviously that wasn't you know, there were no ranking points so he's he's having to to fight that extra bit now
1: yeah exactly i think it's you know he's in a it's in a tricky spot because it's it's almost frustrating he didn't get any ranking points from Wimbledon because you know next week at the canada open he could face daniel medvedev the top seed in the second round and you know the fact that you know he's he's doing all of this unseeded. i think again adds to the you know the the impressiveness of it the only the only one concern i Kim i think i have in terms of him and the u.s open is the crowd and for me the u.s open crowd is like the most easily to get into a fight with or an argument with or just like have the the spark to like the fuse basically certainly more so i feel than wimbledon French Open, Australian Open, and I think that for me is still a bit of an unknown to me in terms of. Well, it's a bit of a known in terms of Kyrgios, but that still for me could be the one thing that holds him back in terms of once we get onto that big stage in a night session on a Friday night in New York City. For me, that is going to be to me the ultimate test of this sort of new maturity that we're seeing with with Kyrgios and his play because that is just going to be a for me a very tempting atmosphere to kind of get back into into old habits and we didn't really see a lot of those old habits I think kind of rear themselves in DC this week I mean in the final there was the odd tweener and there was you know the odd flashy shot but really he played a very strategically sound game you know mixing in drop shots Playing, you know, from the back of the court, playing with the angles, but also, you know, with devastating power that we have come to associate with his game. But yeah, I still think that there's for me there's still a little bit of a question mark in terms of I guess blocking out everything around him, which I think is gonna really come to focus once he gets to New York.
0: Less flash, more cash. Um, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, sometimes you just do need to eliminate a bit of flash. As much as the crowd love it, and you know, you're playing on a late night in Flushing Meadows, crowd going wild, you know, New York heat. It's 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 like glorious. Create so spark moments. It's some, you know, and you can't do that in every single point of every single match. Like, so you do sometimes just have to knuckle down and get the job done. But I think, you know, he, he's aware of that. And um, yeah, I feel like we're seeing him maturing more um at least over the last few weeks you know I'm not gonna say oh it's definitely gonna, gonna go all the way and win the US Open or anything like bold <laughs> like that but yes yeah, certainly if he can combine his brilliance with some discipline and keep it up um keep that serve going strong why not um definitely uh one of those players to to look out for and a danger man for any other players who may be getting him early on in that draw. And uh, perhaps someone who would be a, a danger woman, Joel, is the uh, the other Washington DC winner, Lyudmila Samsonova. Um, you know, she came through winning this title three sets in the final over Kaya Kanepi, who we know is, is very dangerous on her day. Um, and yeah, this was Samsonova's first title since uh, the, the Berlin title that she won on the grass Last year, um, and I think one of those players that really came to prominence last year when she won that title. But since then, you know, she's been there all thereabouts, but been looking for her to to kind of take it up to the next level again. And um, yeah, had a great week, uh, you know, coming through against Emma Raducanu as well um, in, in straight sets and having some some decent wins. So I feel that uh, you know she she could be a not a dark horse to go all the way, obviously, but you know, I don't think you'd be wanting to play her too early on at the US Open, especially if she's getting into form and she was able to deal very well with the conditions as well. She's very, very fit, a well conditioned player. And um, we certainly saw that. She made the most of, of um Kineppy kind of losing energy as the match went on.
1: Again, really, really punishing conditions. I mean, just generally the whole tournament in DC. It was very hot, it was very humid. And it, it did test a lot of players, I think, in terms of their conditioning. And I certainly think in that final, Kanepi, although she took the the first set and had break points, I think for a four two lead in uh, in the second set, she wasn't able to to close it out. And the more and more it went on, it really did favour Samsonova. And uh, you know, one thing I didn't realise about her is that although she plays for for Russia, she actually you know grew up representing Italy up until kind of 2018. So I imagine, you know, the the climate of Italy, you know, playing out there in in the heat really has kind of, you know, helped her, I think, make sure that whenever she does come into these sort of attritional battles where, you know, the climate is against her, and, you know, not letting that be a factor. I mean, we saw, for example, with Simona Halep, unfortunately, again this week, another player who has had issues in the past with with dealing with the heat. You know, she had that memorable loss uh, against Elise Corne in the, in the Australian Open and she retired to Canon Skyer in, in the second round. So it's, it's not necessarily something all players can deal with. But, yeah, I think her conditioning certainly helped her get across the across the finish line, but I mean, both these players, Kim, were just absolutely leathering the ball. They're both sort of out and out aggressive attack. I don't feel like there was any sort of defensive shot being played uh, at all, really. Certainly in the in the first set, and uh, and it was a you know it was a great, entertaining battle. Um, I think you know both of those players, Kenepi, certainly as a one of the more experienced players on the tour, loves uh, you know knocking out a, a top ten. Player certainly at a grand slam level both both of them both the finalists i think are going to be dangerous you know in the us open and, and samsonova who you know I, I always remember her from this season for you know how far she pushed igor sviontek in in stuttgart on the clay when sviontek was going through you know her ridiculous you know her ridiculous streak and we were wondering kind of when when it was going to end but yeah her match against uh, samsonova in stuttgart was uh she you know she was pushed really really hard there and you know she plays some really really good tennis and um again another player to watch I think going forward and yeah not maybe a player who you know she's still not I don't think going to be seeded you know in, in in the in the grand slam in the US Open coming up but yeah another player you just do not want to face I think early on because you know she's got some big wins under her belt and I think her win against Raducani was her second win against a a current top 10 player so she's playing with full of confidence at the moment
0: yeah definitely um, you know able to deal with Canepi with starting the stronger in this match as well she just hung in there and, and eventually just yeah outplayed and, and out, outperformed her absolutely and um, yeah very very durable player on the court as well and when it comes to finals she's yet to lose one so I like a player who takes their chances and just gets <laughs> it done <laughs> Um, yeah I mean other sort of I guess results uh, from, from this week we had well we had Azarenka Losing to a, a lucky loser from China, mm.
1: Jiju Wang. One and three. Yeah, one and three. Not a great result. No,
0: and then someone sort of obviously went and beat Wang, uh, like six one six one. So mm. I don't know if something was going on with with Vika there. I'm not too sure, but um, yeah, because obviously she'd be looking for the hard courts to to really get mm. her her mojo back a bit. You know, it's her bread and butter really. Uh, these sorts of conditions. I mean, she'll
1: be she'll be very disappointed. Uh, she's had visa issues and is mm. not going to be in Canada so again a bit of a stop start even though yeah she had a good win very good win I thought against Jastrzemska four in love in the first round and it gave me that sort of hope Kim but that hope then turned into false hope with that yeah that loss to the lucky loser uh, Wang uh, in the quarters which was a very surprising and straightforward loss for her
0: yeah absolutely and uh, Sophia Kennan we also saw her back in action Mm. and you know she lost in straights to Camilla Osorio I think, you know, 7661, that's a reasonable enough um, scoreline for your first, you know, match back. So we'll we'll look to see what she does going forwards. Um, But we also had the women's event out in in San Jose, uh, which was uh, the 500 event. So this was sort of the more elite event, uh, if you want to, to call it that. And that was won by a certain Daria Kazakina uh playing Shelby Rogers in the final six seven six one six two so after dropping that first set Kazakina was was very very um on the ball and uh just really elevated her game uh took advantage of of Shelby Rogers kind of you know ha- having a bit of a dip as you do in the second set and yeah from from one all in that second set Kazakina went on a bit of a roll
1: I thought it was going to be Kazakina with that, you with thought it would be the bit. other way around, really? Yeah, that second oh, set, yeah, because nice. you know after that first set was seriously punishing stuff. You know, it was—I think it was 80 minutes. Uh, Shelby Rogers saved a set point. I think she was five-three down, and for Ka- it was—it was a real roller coaster. And for me, when Casatiina lost lost that set, I wondered, you know, how is she—is she, is she going to be able to regroup from you know being in a winning position and? it was really impressive in terms of how she shifted the me- the momentum so convincingly and really kind of ran away with it in the end. And she's a player who's, again, arguably having a little bit of a, a renaissance or a resurgence this season. You know, she's back into the top 10, first time since 2019. I think, you know, one of her goals is going to be Getting into the you know, the WTA Finals at the end of the season, the top eight, and to see her do so well on on the hard's, I think is is great because you know it's a she's a player I normally associate with with playing well on on the clay courts. To a point, I almost think she's a little bit of a clay court specialist, but you know she can play on the on the hard's. And you know, given obviously what's happened, you know, in, in the in the last few weeks with her coming out, putting a middle finger up to to Russia and the regime over there. And having her girlfriend as well, I think, watch uh, from the player box in San Jose throughout the week, it just shows. I think she's just playing with a level of freedom that maybe she wasn't playing with before. That she felt shackled by not being able to to come out, and it really feels like it's paying dividends at the moment.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's just that sort of weight off her shoulders almost. And um, she's, she's revitalized and she's back into the top 10 now. She's uh, up at nine in the rankings, which I think is her highest ever ranking. And it's, it's kind of made me think, you know, now she's sort of having this, <laughs> I hate all these words, resurgence, revitalization, whatever, <laughs> this improvement. Um, how far do you think she can go in terms of her ranking now? You know, she's at nine. Do you, do you see her making top five? kind of by the end of this year perhaps
1: oh that is a Kim that is a big question I mean she's got such a unique brand of tennis you know it's very I would say it's quite defensive it's not going to be the most appealing on the eye and I think you know you saw that in the final I think Shelby Rogers had to literally give 110% to to come through that that first set and maybe her energy levels dipped given how much she had to exert um you know early on in in the match whereas Kasatkina just really kind of came across as a as a brick wall at times and i think and i think you know given her her variety and you know we've seen players like you know Shviontek with you know that depth really kind of progress up the rankings obviously now you know Shviontech is the world number 1 so i think there may be argue is argument to say there's a, a blueprint there but at the same time, Kim, I've, I still think Kasekina in terms of her serve. For me, there are just fundamentals, I feel like, that will inevitably hold her back from maybe reaching top five. I certainly think she could be in the WTA finals, you know, at, at the end of the season. But I still think there are elements of her game. For me personally, I am think need to be sharper in order to, for her to kind of really be considered a threat. And the speed on her serve, given the way it is, for me, is, is one of... is is one of the sort of big reasons that might stop her you know from going even further up the rankings
0: yeah no that's that's fair enough I think um it's also going to depend on who's got points to drop perhaps and you know I'm thinking of like Contovate who went on that exceptional run at the end of last year has a lot of points to defend you know players like that who'll be dropping down so it's not just what you can do it's what everyone else is doing I suppose when it comes to the the number crunching at the um the, the at the rankings um so yeah, watch this space. Um, Kazakhina could certainly, um, you know, r- roll with this and, and go on from there because you know Shelby Rogers is is a decent player. Like she is, is also someone to watch. Uh, U.S. Open, well, she I was, beat
1: Sacre. Yeah, beat exactly. Zachary. But
0: uh, she's had a few big scalps before at the U.S. Open, so I always feel like on a U.S. hardcore at home, like she's not. She's you know, I I would not want to face her either. Um, but yeah. Both of them looking very good for the rest of the summer. Bedosa also, you know, getting to the uh, the semis. Kuda metaphor as well. Um, we also uh, saw the return, though, Joel, of uh, Rabakina, you know, after her Wimbledon triumph. And she actually played Kazakina in the first round. Kazakina coming from a set down to win pretty comfortably in the end. Six love in that third set. Um, I mean, were you surprised about... Rebecca the fact that she kind of faded away a lot in that match you know it's the first time we've seen her since since that Wimbledon title Not
1: not particularly you know it's always hard i think to come back onto the the rigors of the tour after you know such a such an you know an epic moment such a life-changing you know life-changing moment um so i think yeah although she'll be a little bit disappointed i mean given going from such a high to back onto the tour I think it's a little bit to be expected and there are going to be you know bigger tournaments to come I think you know the disappointing thing for her is still that she's not she's not seeded you know because of the no ranking points at, at Wimbledon and I think she'll feel maybe a little bit frustrated that you know she's not getting these kind draws I mean you know having to face uh you know Kasichina in in round one uh you know that's a, that's a tough break for someone who's just been the Wimbledon champion so there might be a little bit of frustration kind of creeping in if these kind of draws keep coming up but yeah I expect her certainly to still ride on that that confidence that she would have got from becoming the the lady singles champion
0: yeah for sure I think it's it's not uh, something to, to worry about too much. Like you mm. said, I think it's actually probably quite inevitable given that her break from the court, um, you know, first match back against someone like Akazakina, who's obviously playing very well at the moment. Um, also love that we got another close match between Pliskova and, and Balter. You know, another three setter went to a, that tie break in the second set. Pliskova coming out on top.
1: I know. Karolina Pliskova with a nice revenge win, I think, over Katie Balter who beat her at the Wimbledon championships earlier on in the season so yeah nice you know unfortunate for Balta I think she was she was very very close to that second set to so just getting another victory there So a bit unfortunate for her but yeah again nice to see Pulisic get a win she's not had the best of times really this season and although you know she went out to Anna Samova in the second round in in three sets yeah I think she'll be sort of Almost relieved, I think, that she was able to defeat Balter given what had happened uh, back in the UK a few months earlier.
0: Absolutely. And uh, a player who, well, talking about Wimbledon, we didn't see him at Wimbledon because he wasn't allowed to play. And that's Daniel Medvedev. <laughs> and perhaps not playing. I mean, we
1: saw him like literally everywhere else on his Instagram <laughs> account, I feel.
0: Perhaps not playing there has helped him because he's picked up his first title of the season. You know, he's been in a couple of finals this year, but not able to to get that big win. Um, And he's done it over Cam Norrie, uh, 7-5, 6-love. Alcin los cabos. Uh, Nori Norrie was defending his title from from this time last year where he won his, his first ever like, maiden tour title. But yeah, Medvedev, too strong. From five all in the first set, he uh didn't look back, he didn't drop a single game after that point. And uh I mean, I mean, really, actually, I mean it was quite interesting. He um Medvedev, you know, had had two set points um on his serve at 5-4, wasn't able to to get them, but um you know, Nori broke back, took it to to five 0 and then uh, Medvedev had this bit of a, this issue. He scraped his hand; it was bleeding. He had to stop and you know get treatment from the physio. Bit reminiscent of Emma Raducanu in the US Open final last year. They had to stop because she was bleeding. Um, and yeah, from that from then on, he didn't lose another game. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, I don't. You know, obviously he had to get it seen. So you can't bleed all over the court. But um, yeah, he just obviously held his nerve, kept calm, and came
1: through. He metaphorically and literally had some skin in the game, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> didn't he? But uh, yeah, it was a good. It was a good. You know, it was a good end to the match for for Medvedev. It reminded me, Kim. Uh, you know, in, from a Cam Norrie point of view, it reminded me of his match against um, you know Novak Djokovic, where you know they were competing very very well and evenly you know with each other before sort of Djokovic and Medvedev have, have run away with it. And I think it, to me shows yes, Norrie. Has is very very good player and uh, he played really really well in this tournament. Had a very good win against Ojalisim uh, in the in the semi-finals. But when Medvedev wants to wants to turn it on, it does feel like a little bit of a another level that at the moment feels a step beyond uh, Cam Norrie. And I think he may have seen that in you know from Novak Djokovic in the you know in the Wimbledon semi-final. I think he saw it from Daniel Medvedev um, in the final in in Los Cabos. And uh, you know. It was impressive to see Medvedev come back, win win a final. You know he's not done that uh, at all, really, um, over the last eleven months or so. I think he's lost the last five finals. I mean, a lot has happened to him, hasn't it, since you know winning the US Open last year. You know he's you know reached world number one. Um, he's had to have time off the tour for for a hernia operation. Um, he's not been able to play Wimbledon. He's been losing finals. It feels like a bit of quite a tumultuous time, despite being, you know, playing some pretty good tennis. And of course, Kim, that you know, that you know, heartbreaking loss really uh, to Nadal in the Australian Open, and perhaps you know that that time off due to enforced time off due to Wimbledon was gave him a little bit, bit of a, a period of of self reflection that you know has helped him maybe kind of reassess and recalibrate things for. The hardcore season coming up. I do think this was a little bit ominous in the sense of, you know, it was all straight sets. It all felt very, very easy for him. And who knows, maybe we're going to go on some sort of Daniel Medvedev esque hardcore streak like we did, you know, a few years ago um, when he, all the way to the US Open, when he pushed Rafa so close in that, that first match they had um, in a grandstand final. So, yeah, very, very good performance for him, not just in the final, but throughout the whole week.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you know he's quite a tumultuous player on the court anyway. So I think maybe maybe some self enforced or not self enforced but enforced time prior to the big U.S. Open swing is, is has been helpful, will be helpful. Um, I mean, there was that yeah that big loss at the AO, but also you know that big loss to Tim Van Rijthoven who mm. uh, defeated him at home. <laughs> so yeah, Medvedev back to winning ways.
1: Well, I do think it was getting on his his nerves a little mm, bit in terms of so. getting to finals and you know generally speaking he's going into those finals as the as the favorite on particularly on the tour maybe not necessarily obviously in, at the australian open but he he would have been i think a bit annoyed in in the sense of i'm getting to these finals but i'm not coming away with the the title so again this was a perfect opportunity to kind of right that wrong and i think he was sort of relieved i think you know hearing him in the his his post-match press conference um, that he was able to just to just win the title and, and play the tennis he wanted to play. There was nothing, you know, Norrie could, you know, brought the level of tennis I think we've come to know him by, but yeah, Medvedev was just ultimately kind of superior on the court and his, his court coverage, I think, throughout the week, certainly for me kind of typified that. He was just typically everywhere, you know, great offense, great defense, it was just too much and it was a little bit too overwhelming, I just think, for for Cam Norrie on the day.
0: Yeah, and I mean, an interesting trophy as well that he won. A lot of people commenting <laughs> on it. It's sort of like an Aztec cloth football. Well, he
1: said he thought he was like the, he had won the World Cup.
0: <laughs> well, he obviously liked it then. That, that's fine. That's all that matters. No, I mean, I think t- it was a very original trophy. It's better mm. than just a bit of... Metal, so yeah, <laughs> well done. <laughs> it was
1: quite a quali- it was quite colourful tennis ball, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's so, a
1: mm.
0: one of the maybe you know um, we actually we had one of our lovely listeners, Cameron, suggest uh, maybe we should do an episode or something. All the the top. Trophies in tennis, because um, I know you're big.
1: Top ten worst designs, I believe, was well, the, uh... maybe
0: unique could be a, a different way of phrasing. <laughs> I know you love the Hamburg one a lot. Oh <laughs> gosh, yes, yes. Um, I mean,
1: listeners, let us know what 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 trophy designs would go on that list.
0: Yeah, let us know. I for one thing that springs to mind. I remember there was um a few interesting ones out in Australia for the pre AO tournaments yeah uh, that uh, kind of Mm. spring to mind. But um, let's take a quick break now. Uh, We'll (laughs) be back in the second half where we'll be talking about Serena Williams returning uh, in Toronto, uh, Nadal pulling out of Montreal and also how the future of tennis will be reacting to climate change. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now let's have Par for the Courts, Joel. Uh, before we move on, let's have a bit of a, a, a quiz segment. I uh, haven't had one of these. Well, it feels like it's been been a while, but that's probably just because I've been missing, missing them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, a Par for the Courts for you and our listeners. It is to do with the ATP Tour and number of titles won. And uh, I saw this. I saw this on social media the other day, and I thought it was quite a nice one. There's quite a lot of potential answers here, so you know you shouldn't. It shouldn't be too tricky earlier on. Okay. Just to add a little bit of pressure cool. to the situation. Okay. Right. So the topic for you is that they are there are sorry, currently 18 active ATP players with 10 or more. ATP Tour singles trophies to their name.
0: Wow. Okay. 18 or more?
1: Whoa. So there's, sorry, 10 or more. Oh, 10. And there are 18 active players.
0: Right. Okay. 18 active players with 10 or more mm. titles.
1: And I'm going to give you one clue because this one's a bit debatable. Okay. One of those players hasn't officially retired yet. Um, okay. Which is a little bit of a clue. Roger Federer. Um, <laughs> Well that's oh, not even the, I mean that is one of them but that's not even the right one but uh okay. yes yeah, so I'm going to set the pass score for this at I I'm going to go over 50%. Here. I'm here. going to say 10 out of 18.
0: Okay, I think I, I can do I want you to that. reach
1: double digits. I want you to reach double digits. I think that's
0: doable, but I'm I'm going to I'm going to go through them quite fast because um we potentially will be having 18. So I'll start with the obvious I think Joel uh and that is well Roger Federer Correct. Rafael Nadal. Correct. Novak Djokovic. Correct. Andy Murray.
1: Correct. Yep. Well, they are the top four. 103, 92, 88 and 46 titles each.
0: So let's think who else would have won a fair number. Stan Wawrinka.
1: Correct. Yes, he is on 16 at the moment. So that's number five. So halfway there already, Kim. You're motoring through. Marin Cilic. Correct. Yes, he is on 20 titles.
0: Uh, Gael Monfils.
1: Correct. Very good. He is on 11 titles. Ooh. So that is seven. There are three more to get to par for the courts. And just to clarify, there is one player. So Murray is on 46. Cilic is on 20. There is a player... On 22. Oh, um, but there are also other players who've got less than 20 titles. Yeah,
0: I'm just wondering how many like Zverev and Medvedev have got in their, you know, fairly young careers. Surely they would have got to 10 or surely Medvedev's got to 10. Uh, or are there other players of the sort of Chilich ilk that would have <laughs> won? I mean, Kyrgios has got to like seven. So surely... Surely a Medvedev or a Zverev or um, Sitzipas. Dominic Team, how many has he won? Or even like Rude. I mean no, he hasn't won ten, has he? Oh, this is really <laughs> difficult. Um right, I'm gonna have to just plunge. Daniel Medvedev.
1: Correct, oh, yes. Phew. He is on thirteen. Okay. What do you actually I think he's on fourteen now actually, but yeah, he's over ten. Um, so that's eight so two more I think to get par for the courts Kim
0: oh I wonder if it's yeah this player's been around a while John Isner has he got ten like all those sort of little titles and US
1: correct yep. yes <laughs> I think half, <laughs> little of those are titles. half of those are in, in Atlanta and Newport yeah probably. well that's what um, I was no. thinking of yeah <laughs> yep he is on 16 Um. so one more one more to reach par for the courts Kim Pressure situation. You've been in this spot oh, before and given me a wrong answer.
0: I have got an idea of someone, but I think they might be a bit niche. They're French, but oh, actually, no. Oh, met... has hmm. Fernando Verdasco won ten titles? Oh, I'll say Zverev might be safer.
1: Zverev, yeah. For path, for I, I know he
0: hasn't won twenty-two, so I'm still missing that person. But yeah, I'll say Zverev
1: correct oh. yes he's got 19 kids has Come he really
0: of course oh, yes. <laughs> whoops <laughs> doing
1: yes, them a disservice uh, yes so Zverev is correct so you have achieved par for the courts Woo. for this week any any other names you wanted to, well, to throw into the hat
0: I was debating about Gilles Simon
1: yes you could have had Gilles Simon oh, yes. 14 titles
0: okay what about Vadasco is he on there
1: so if you had said to be Fernando Vadasco that's a wrong answer, oh, Kim. Damn, not on the list. Uh, Lopez, Feliciano? No, no. Lopez. Oh. Uh, uh,
0: mm.
1: I mean, a few players you have you have sort of said, but you didn't say them officially. Dominic team oh. on seventeen titles. Oh, gosh, that's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Stan Wawrinka. I think you said. Stan. I did say him. Um, yeah. Richard Gasquet. Oh yes. On Gasquet. fifteen. Nishikuri on 12 oh he did come into my mind actually Nishkori. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then you could have had uh, Monfils Rublev oh, RBA Bautista Agut ah, on 11 oh, good for him. and Sam Query has Sam Query. 10 titles but the player you didn't get who I thought was a really obvious one with 22 titles when I I gave you the clue that he hadn't officially retired yet and you said to me Roger Federer that was not who I was <laughs> thinking of I was thinking of
0: I don't know who it is Juan Martin Del oh, Potro. yeah. <laughs> well, in my mind, he's just been injured so much that he wouldn't have got to 22. <laughs> he won the US Open and that's it. Um, oh, <laughs> bless. Okay, yeah, I just didn't even think about him. Yeah, we don't really know if he's fully, officially... Retired or not, do we? Um, Oh, well, that was a great one, Joel. Thank you very much. I hope our listeners all enjoyed playing along with that. Um, And we've got a great question for the mailbag as well this week uh, from Ed on email. So uh, Ed has said, hi, Joel and Kim. Uh, inspired by the Commonwealth Games, so uh, Ed was asking if tennis was in the Commonwealth Games. Who would you have as your gold medal-winning champions in the men's and women's singles events? So that's a really good shout. Um, I actually went to the Commonwealth Games this weekend, but and I was ruminating on the fact that tennis wasn't uh, included. And uh, I'm
1: sort of thankful, if I'm being honest, Kim, it's not been included.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably a bit too much given that they yeah. they do play the Olympics. And I think given that <laughs> not co- <laughs> even
1: everyone plays the Olympics. Well, no,
0: exactly. And there's always a bit of debate <laughs> over that. And the Commonwealth Games, you know, would there's not, not actually not many tennis players at the top of the tours would be classed as Commonwealth players. So it would be like a few of them going off to do something. Um, and they probably would want to focus on like the US Open. So, uh, but I mean, who do who would you have as your champs?
1: Yeah, I th- a tough one. I mean, you've obviously got UK, Canada, Australia. I think as maybe your big big three. Um, I might go someone like Alex De menor maybe, or or oh, more Nick Kyrgios. Um, as my kind of men's champion. Um, women's champion, I'm gonna go Sam Stozer? Maybe not Sam Sosa. <laughs> maybe, maybe not Sam Sosa. Um, oh, I don't know. Emma Raducanu? Well, can I say that? Yeah, Am I allowed to say that? Of course Pretty obvious. Can. <laughs> Especially at home in Birmingham. I yeah. think she would have risen to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, those those that was sort of where my, my head was at. But yeah, you'd think the field would be... if Even if it was like a full field of, of Commonwealth, it would feel more like a 250 or a 500, I feel.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, just because of... I think even like the likes of Alex Diminort, they may not have wanted to have played it. And that's no disrespect to the Commonwealth Games, but it might have been something that, mm. and maybe we'll see this if it's ever introduced into the Commonwealth Games. But yeah, I was, I was sort of thinking uh, maybe a Jordan Thompson or a Tom oh, okay. of the world yeah. could ex- excel child. at something like this. Or, um, I think Andrescu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or even Cam Nori if he wanted to play mm. um, at home. Although I don't know who who, who he would have, Represented because he's sort of part mm. Scottish, part Welsh, I think. So
1: I grew up sure. in New Zealand. So yeah, so he's, he's just everyone very, gets a medal. Yeah. He's just very Commonwealth, <laughs> isn't he? Uh,
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, great, great question, um, Ed. Thank you for getting in touch with us. Um, it's very, very kind of you. So keep them coming. We do love uh, listener questions on the Tennis Weekly Mailbag. Um, but sure, one thing I wanted to kind of discuss, I guess, with with yourself today was. Um, there's been a a report, I guess, on on a sports blogging website actually um, called Five Thirty Eight. Um, you know, to reference them, it was a very interesting read. I don't know if any of our listeners have read read it, but it was talking about how tennis and outdoor tennis, especially, could become. Um, and I'll kind of quote from their headline: "Could become sports f- sports's first big climate change casualty." um because of all of the rising temperatures and you know tennis players being outside for hours and hours on end in these like ridiculous heats and how how will they cope with that it's going to get to a level that's unsustainable from a health perspective just to be out there playing in these sort of unhealthy temperatures not to mention you know the fact that i guess tennis by its very nature as a global sport probably isn't the best uh for the environment what with all the sort of emissions produced by it so I and mean, what did you make of of this report when you when you had a look at it? Yeah,
1: it was uh, certainly something I've not really kind of thought about, and the, actually the only real way I've been thinking about the environment and the tours is more to do with the carbon footprint of of players flying, you know, from from tournament to tournament all around the world, as opposed to thinking about it in terms of the heat and um, you know that in you know endangering lives of players and you know we, we we do have tournaments where the conditions can be extremely punishing this week washington dc the humidity factor just looks like it was felt very very almost like unplayable at times to a point where you just think the player who's going to win is the player who's just going to survive and i wonder if them some of the players think that when they go through these these conditions given how punishing they are and yeah, even earlier on in the season, Kim, yeah, that 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 match between Nadal and Zverev, um, you know, in the French Open, on that in that indoor setting, was just a very, again, very very punishing. Maybe not so necessarily from a, a weather sense, but very slow court, dry conditions, just did not help anyone or do any anyone any favours. I think, and again, Australian Open is and is another who's you know they've they're sort of they're probably at the forefront in the sense that they have a you know some science there that tells players and and fans if it goes above a certain level then they stop but it certainly does feel like it's becoming more and more of an issue and I do wonder in the future whether the, the Canada will need to have serious kind of consideration in terms of geography and how it changes because it's something I think that we just take for granted yes Covid happened and felt a bit piecemeal how the calendar was sort of distributed to fans but it's something I feel that doesn't really the spine of it anyway hasn't really changed a lot um, at all really over the last few decades but if there is one moment you think that it will change it's surely got to do with potentially the rising rising temperatures across the world
0: yeah and I think before you know if I would have thought about heat and and tennis I would have thought oh yeah the Australian Open is kind of where you you get it Mm. you get players sort of fainting on court having to retire where they bring into play the extreme heat policy but actually it's it's becoming much more common across the rest of the tour And, and even you know we look at like Wimbledon this year, we didn't have the heat wave during Wimbledon, but shortly after the UK was experiencing like 41, 42 degrees, you know, top, top temperatures. So, like, there is the potential that these sorts of temps are going to be seen, you know, not just in Australia, but all around. And, you know, we see how players struggle with that. And no one likes to see that. It's fans struggle with it, you know, staff and volunteers, players. It's not pleasant for anyone to be dealing with these heat, these situations. And, yes some people might say oh this is you know a global elite sport it's you know deal with it you know there are player, there are people in the world who will lose their whole livelihoods because of climate change um but certainly you know sport um you know it's is going to be affected as well so we do have to think about how it might also be impacted not not just um you know, other sort of more perhaps more serious consequences, um I guess they would have to look at calendar changes uh I know this article indoor courts. Indoor indoor courts indoor courts, yeah, I mean, I know this article was talking about things that they could do on the court, like with in terms of you know aircon and fans and all of this, but I'm not sure how environmentally friendly that would be unless there was mm. all kind of renewable energy powering all of that mm. um so I think certainly arranging, rearranging the the schedule and the calendar um why you know why have the AO in the warmest month in Australia for example play play them at different times um and maybe you can't eliminate this sort of extreme heat you know completely but I think you know just because things have always been done a certain way doesn't mean they they have to continue like that if you've got you know big factors like this coming into play
1: yeah certainly and I do think yeah if, if 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 this continues then Maybe we do have to go to into more controlled settings, like indoor courts, where they can manage the the temperature and and have a roof and protect players from the elements outside, like the you know, the intensity of of the sun. That seems quite ridiculous, and to you know to say and and you know to some listeners it might, it might sound like a a joke or or really implausible. But I think we've seen certainly over this summer the in the UK anyway the you know the the rise in the levels of of heat really kind of feeling these these heat waves where the you know the recommendations have been to to stay at home i think has really brought into focus how much of a a a challenge and an issue is a, a, um is climate change at the moment and it's going to have its impact on you know daily lives and it's going to have its impact on sport and you know, the nature of tennis being outdoors, uh, you know, for the majority of the season, it does feel like it's going to be one of the first in the firing line. You know, it's it's one of those sports where it's not just a few hours a day. It's, you know, a few hours a day over you know, consecutive days, We've got best of five set tennis. Players are exposing themselves to the sun for quite long stretches of time. And maybe in the future, that is, you know, just having, you know, a cap on and, and suntan cream is is not going to be the the most of it because you know we've had bursts from from players on court daniel Medvedev I remember talking about you know he said he could die on 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 a tennis court given how awful the you know the conditions he was he felt that like he was being kind of forced to play in um on the tour i think earlier earlier lot in in the season last year so um feels like it's uh it's an issue that is going to become more and more of a more and more of something that's going to be need to be directly addressed. And I think there'll be greater calls from it, and arguably that I think should be led by the players. You know, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be the most impacted by this. And you would expect, given how it's going at the moment, I feel like the ATP and the WTA player unions should be kind of looking at this and being like, make sure you've got you've got our health, you know, in, in mind when it comes to organising and selecting tournaments to be played and when they are played during the year.
0: Exactly. And I think it's certainly something that we have to, like, it has to be considered. And we'll, um, maybe, I don't think there's probably going to be immediate changes. But I think, you know, you said best of five sets. I think this is a big argument for reducing it to best of three, which I know many think should happen anyway so um yeah that's uh, uh it's a it's a tricky conversation to have but one one that we do have to have to address and I thought this article was yeah it was quite thought-provoking so definitely do check it out um if you haven't already um I mean let's go back to the tennis that we've got at the moment uh, but hopefully it won't be quite so Manically hot uh, out in Canada uh, this coming week. We've got the men in Montreal, the women in Toronto. Um, Daniel Medvedev is is the top seed in in Montreal. Uh, There's no Rafa. He's pulled out. As you said, there's no Djokovic uh, either, of course, because of all the ongoing vaccine restrictions. And uh, we've got quite a tasty draw, though, um, lined up. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Medvedev-Kyrgios could be a
1: second round match. Duminor Shapovalov is a first round match.
0: Yeah, and I mean Andy Murray Taylor Fritz as well. Obviously Andy Murray's mm. a, a wild card into here, so there's no reason why he he wouldn't have like a top seed like Taylor Fritz. But you know, there's there's some really good tasty uh, first round matches. Nori Nakashima as well. I think that could mm. be. Uh, I'm sure Nori will come through that. But I think that's one I'll be trying to tune into if the timing allows.
1: Yeah, yeah. It feels like that top half for me is is a little bit easier for Medvedev mm. if he can come through Nick Kyrgios in the second round that is going to be a real test. test I mean that could be a real treat to be honest I mean both those players are in seriously good nick at the moment Um but certainly for me that bottom half is is packed with players that could could reach the the semis or or even the the final you got Yannick Sinner, Sissipas, Rublev, Alcaraz, Fritz, Chilich, Berrettini there's a lot of players in that bottom half that are in in good form and uh yeah Andy Murray's gonna have his work cut out I think you know he was disappointing in in Washington I watched a bit of his match against Emair who you know granted did get to the did get to the semi-finals but um he's gonna have to play a, a lot better than I think he did and you know Taylor Fritz he retired against I think Dan Evans in in DC so there might be a bit of a a fitness question over him um going into that match which might help murray but uh yeah it's going to be tricky for him nonetheless because he could even face tiafo um in round two so um yeah it's going to be very very interesting i mean we've not got a lot of time kim before before we run out but uh predictions what, what are you where are you going
0: oh um okay I'll do semis then final I'm going Medvedev versus FAA sorry Nori um and then I'm sorry Nori. <laughs> I love that I'm going Sinner Alcaraz because I um want to see a repeat of of them mm. playing each other I want to see if Alcaraz can figure mm. Sinner out uh but then I have actually got a final between Medvedev and Sinner so I'm guessing Alcaraz isn't going to figure it out just yet and Medvedev is my champion what about you okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, I've gone Medvedev Nori semi-final I think they're going to have a replay of the Los Cabos final in the semis in Montreal and then in the bottom half I've got Alcaraz Berrettini I think Berrettini and Sinner are going to play each other Ooh. in round three and Berrettini is going to come out on top and I think yeah he's going to go all the way through to the semis Um, but I've got a I've got a Medvedev Alcaraz final which I think could be pretty entertaining i'm i'm hoping um and i've got medvedev as champion i think he he's just came back on tour i was very impressed with how he played in in los cabos um yeah there may be question marks over the level of 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 players in in that tournament but given what i saw against nori and against kekmanovic as well i think um yeah i think he's going to live up to being top seed in the in the tournament
0: i mean i'd be happy with a medvedev uh alcaraz final that would be mm. that'd be great um and then just looking at the women's side of things uh igor is the top seed so we've got both world number ones in action uh unet second seed um and obviously the likes of uh samalenka bedosa jabor zachary everyone else there it's a, it's a strong field um
1: especially that top quarter kim that top quarter is seriously stacked.
0: Yeah, I mean Naomi Osaka obviously unseeded. She's up mm. against Kaya Kennepi, obviously recent finalist, and then we've got a certain Serena Williams in there as well. Um Benchich, Fernandez, yeah, it's it's super stacked. I mean even Schrontek's first match probably potentially going to be against Kuda Metva, who got to the semis, you know, this just this week got just gone. I mean a lot of people obviously saying Schrontek most popular choice to kind of win this event, but you know, she she didn't have a, a great uh, Wimbledon or or the Poland Open when she lost to Garcia. I know she's probably been, you know, obviously focusing on, on these events, the hard court swing for the last couple of weeks. But I don't know. I, I'm less convinced by her... Than I as I was, you know, like prior to Wimbledon when she was
1: just winning everything. So, and we've also got quite a few like same nationality matchups. We've got Stevens Sloane Stevens Sophia Kenin, which is a mm-hmm. battle of gr- former Grand Slam champions. Yep. We've got Pliskova versus Krachikova, Czech Republic, and of course, Kim. Caroline Garcia versus Elise Cornet, an all-French matchup.
0: <laughs> yeah, some. I mean, as always, there's some like cracking first-round matches. I mean, <laughs> I mean
1: Casatiina Andrescu as well. That's a that's a great round one match.
0: That is. I mean, if Andrescu wanted to do something like at home, she's got you know someone who's very mm. much in form right up from the word <laughs> go, and also potential second round against potentially Garcia. So mm. it's not going to be an easy draw if Andrescu wants to, you know, to replicate like some of the magic from, what, three summers ago. Um, I mean, Venus Williams also right at the bottom of the draw on a wild card. We've got um, Rabakina there. She's got Buskova, who's, you know, won a title recently. She's in, in good good form as well. And Emma Raducanu, of course, is there. But Camilla Georgie as an opener, not easy.
1: No, that is not easy at all. And just a word on, on Buskova. She qualified. She played Tatiana Maria in the final qualifying round for Toronto, which for me is crazy given how well both of those players did in Wimbledon but again it's just the impact of having you know no ranking points um you know during the event which is it feels a bit of a shame because both those players did so well and yet running into each other in not even in the main draw Feels a bit of a feels a bit of a shame.
0: Yes, yeah, just the way it goes. I'm, I'm afraid, as it is, it's, it's <laughs> tough out there at the top. I mean, let's make some predictions before we finish up for today, Joel. Uh, who are your semis and your finals and, and your champion?
1: Mm. So I am going to go with Schwiegeronk Casakina in the top half, and I've got Badossa Coco Goth in the bottom half. Schwiegeronk Goth final. And I'm going to go with Igor Swiatek. I think she's going to put the Poland open, uh, you know, cast that cast that side, and she's going to get back to back to business. And I I just I I just can't believe. I mean, she's played so well on all the. I think she's won her last three hardcore events that she's played. So I just can't back. I can't not back Igor Swiatek. I think so. I'm going Swiatek as my champion.
0: Okay, I'm. I'm not going for her actually. I'm sure she'll prove me oh, wrong. Okay. But I have gone for Shviontek Kazakina as a semi-final. Mm. Um, I've also gone for Jessie Pagula against Marie Buskova. Um, just think, Buskova is going to maybe go a bit further <laughs> now she's qualified. Um, Pagula just because she she can uh, and she may. Uh, and I've got a final between Kazakina and Pagula. And despite Kazakina winning last week, I'm going for Jessie Pagula to to win the title and uh, I've written down brackets why not so we'll <laughs> see about that <laughs> well
1: I mean I mean that bottom half I mean particularly that bottom quarter is just feels very very open Sabalenka and Contevate is the two top seeds there not both not in great form Sabalenka I think lost to Kasakina got bageled in a in a in a third set and Contivate, I just think is is a little struggling a little bit, but um, yeah, no, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, it's all good having the Masters, the one thousands, back on the tour as we head towards the U.S. Open. So all uh, very exciting. We do have a couple of other episodes to talk about. We've obviously got our tour catch ups, but we do have uh, a couple of other episodes as part of our tennis weekly meets series you may have seen last week we spoke with the lawn tennis association the sports national governing body for tennis in the uk about how they are driving participation at the grassroots level meeting kim spoke to Paul Cubmore from the LTA, really, really fascinating, talking about the park scheme, talking about world tennis numbers, really, really uh, fun conversation. So I recommend having a listen to that. And we're also going to be bringing out another Tennis Weekly meets later on this week. Now, listeners, hear me out, but essentially there is (laughs) a tennis-themed theatre production coming to the uk later in the year i know you're probably thinking what on what on earth is that what does that mean well it's called crimes on center court i was fortunate enough to speak to the director um of crimes on center court earlier last week and uh if you're intrigued i honestly really amazing uh really amazing kind of listen uh i got to speak to the director who is also the voice one of the voice performers he performs like 20 voices in the show so uh Look out for that one later in the week if you're a theatre goer or you're just sort of intrigued in terms of how does how does tennis and theatre mix?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm intrigued to listen to that as well, Joel. Because I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it for that episode. And I mean, I love a bit of theatre. I love mm. a bit of a murder mystery. I love tennis. So it's like the perfect blend. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's it's a podcast as well. So if there are any global listeners as well, it was a podcast that was turned into a theatre production. So you don't necessarily have to be able to go to the show to to enjoy it. But uh, I'll leave it to Tennis Weekly Meets later in the week to delve a little bit more into that. But for now, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our latest catch-up with Tennis Weekly. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the Download tennis.com app And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
0: And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Let us know any questions you've got for the Tennis Weekly mailbag. Any feedback or comments, let us know. We always love to hear from everyone. Uh, You can do so via email as well if you prefer. Tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website www.tennisweekly.co.uk uk
1: and we will be back next monday at tennis weekly hq for our latest tour catch up looking back on all the action in montreal and toronto so i hope you can join us for that but in the meantime it's goodbye from kim goodbye and it's goodbye from me we'll see you again soon